And our Lord is most certainly Lord of all. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. And as a church body, we certainly remember the wonders that he has done, even in our midst last week. Amen? Amen. The Lord has continued to bring hope, has continued to stretch out his hand to heal, to encourage, to deliver, even this week. And he's present today to heal, to encourage, and deliver. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are the cornerstone. And we worship you this morning. Lord, we invite you to have your way. Come, King Jesus. Lead us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And the Lord greets you with these words. He says, I am the Almighty One. And he says, I am the All-Sufficient One. And he encourages you and invites you now to greet one another. Friends, um, even as we're singing about Jesus washing us white as snow, there are um, many of us who are feeling not white, not clean, not pure, who are reminded of the things that are still in our hearts and in our lives that are like the leper spots, the dirty things. And uh, the devil in particular would like to remind us of those things and to say, see, you're not clean, you're not white. You're not pure. And Jesus says to us this morning, even as we move into prayer time together, our family prayer, He says, if you're in Me, you've died. You've died with Me and you've risen with Me into a new life. And so you sang, what can make Me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, I do make you whole. And so I give you the gift of this new life. And I call you to work out that new life. To work it out with fear and trembling, he says through Paul. And so it's Jesus' gift that gives us the freedom, even as we enter into prayer, to be utterly honest and to say, Lord, there are still spots. Lord, there, there are areas of impurity. Lord, there is sin that needs to be dealt with. Even as You've made me pure through Your blood, Lord, I need You to purify. So I'm going to invite us to to transition into our family prayer time if you're new. It's a time where we all pray in our own voices. You can be seated. And uh, I'm going to invite us to be honest before the Lord and to pray, Lord, cleanse, even as You've cleansed. So let's pray. Lord, thank You that You've paid it all. Thank You that You look on everyone here this morning who comes to Jesus. You look on us through Jesus. And You see Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' cleanliness. Jesus' perfection. Thank You that You gift that to us. And so Lord, in the context of Your gift, Your love, and Your grace, we open up before You those things that need to be come like Jesus. And we pray, hear our prayers as we ask You to make us more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayers. 
Lord, we thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit is at work among us right now, just drawing out words of life from the scriptures that you want to speak to us to bring encouragement, to bring hope, to tell us that you're present, that you're at work in our lives, and that um, you direct us through your word. Thank you, Lord. And we just declare together that um, you are sufficient, Jesus to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, to deliver us, to heal us, to bless us, to fill our lives with the goodness of God. You are enough, and we look to you and to you alone, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you do um, constantly seek to meet the needs of each of your children. And Lord, even as we open up your word, You know what needs we have to hear from You, to be fed, nourished, and strengthened by You. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, uh, inspire the words that are preached, strengthen me, that my words would be Yours for every person here. We pray it in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, last week we got about a third of a way into the sermon because of the way that the Lord was working in our midst earlier in the service. And so we're going to pick up sort of in the middle of a a scripture passage, but uh, we've got plenty to hear from the Lord from the remaining portion of this text. We're in Luke, making our way through the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. What page did you say it was on, Vic? 1611 in the Blue Bibles. Just a little reminder of where we are. Uh, Jesus' disciples have been following Him for over a year. They've been with Him everywhere. Morning, noon, and night. They have watched His love, His compassion, and His power at work, to heal, to save, to deliver. And Jesus has just sent them out um, in that power and authority. He's given it to them, He's entrusted them, and He's sent them out to do what He's been doing. And they've come back. They've come back. They've spent a little bit of time um, debriefing, resting, time apart with Jesus. And then um, what we read this morning, the crowds have followed Him. And so, beginning at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then He took them with Him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed Him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They, They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. 
unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The Word of God. Many of you will remember that in uh, late April of this year, Pastor Gina and I went to Ottawa, Ontario, Canada to teach four days at a conference called Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the church that we taught that conference in just happened to be the church that I was born and raised in, grew up in, the first 18 or so years of my life. And it had been about 20 years uh, since I'd moved away from Ottawa, but in those 20 years, I had um, returned a number of times, but I'd never returned and preached. I'd never taught in my home church. So in the back of my mind as I went to teach this conference was, how, how are these people going to receive me? Some of them changed my diaper in the nursery. And in fact, one of them reminded me of that on the first day. <laughs> there was this nagging sense of, you know, am I going to be accepted uh, as one who can teach them? And on the first day that it was my turn to teach, we we, um, at these conferences, we always begin our teaching by inviting two people up to pray for us. We model our dependence on the Holy Spirit by inviting that prayer. And I just talked a little bit about growing up in the church and my appreciation for the heritage of faith that they had given me and invited that some from the church would come to pray for me. They'd already seen this prayer model. They knew that two or three came. Fourteen people came forward to pray. And in that moment, I felt so blessed, so thankful. As my best friend's mother in her mid-60s opened prayer and said, Lord, we submit to your um, servant, your, our son. And we, we, we just tell you, Lord, that we can learn from him. What I felt in that moment was great, great welcome. Like open, open arms. Now, isn't it true that every time we go somewhere that's new, or that we meet new people, whether it's in a new job environment, work, school, a new church, wherever we go, that there's this sense inside, spoken or unspoken, how am I going to be received? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be welcomed? Am I going to be loved for who I am? Am I going to be met with open arms? Or, or am I going to be rejected or pushed away? Or what, what am I going to meet with? In three words, Luke opens this story and pours out the heart of God. And he says, Jesus welcomed them. Jesus welcomed everybody who came to Him. Jesus, who is busy with His twelve, 
who's busy debriefing Jesus, who has ever constant demands upon them. When they came to Jesus, needy, hungry as they were, Jesus welcomed them. And can you just picture Jesus as the crowds are streaming in, just, just touching and saying, I'm really glad that you're here. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Jesus making men and women and young people and children all feel at home in the presence of God. In those three words, Luke models for us the hospitality of God. That God welcomes eagerly everyone who comes to Him hungering and thirsting. And the crowds are hungry and thirsty. And so Jesus again, Luke says, He just begins to teach them about the Kingdom of God. This is who God is. You've not known Him. You've had a distorted picture of Him. But God is a Father longing to pour out His love on His lost children. And so He welcomes. And and Luke says He teaches them and He heals all who need healing. Remember we said that Jesus never met a sickness that He liked? Last week, the work of God is to bring healing. And so we call Jesus Jesus because His name means Savior. And we understand that to mean saving us from sins. But in the Old Testament use of that word, it's so much wider than merely from sins. It's from all the effects of sin. Bound up in that word Savior is a return to wholeness. That He is the One who renews and restores, and in fact says in Revelation, look, I'm making everything new, including all parts of your lives. I'm the one who restores bodies, souls, spirits. And so Jesus welcomes and Jesus teaches and Jesus goes about that work of restoring. All day. All day, Jesus ministers the love, the hope of God. And then... Late in the afternoon, his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, it's time to stop. Send these folks away. It's, we're in a remote place and there's, there's nothing here. There's nowhere to sleep. There's nothing to eat. Send them away. Okay, pause. Anytime that you find yourself telling God what to do, pause. Stop. Now we smile or we laugh, but honestly... We do this all of the time. We look on a situation and we observe the facts and the data of that situation and we decide almost immediately, this is what's happening, this is what's possible, therefore this is what we must do. Don't we do that all the time? We make rational judgments based on the hard data that's in front of us. We come to God. Sometimes we don't even come to Him. We just move forward and we make decisions and we operate on them because of what we perceive to be possible. Rather than asking questions, we just move forward with decisions. How did Jesus' disciples get to the point where they're doing that? They have watched Him heal and deliver. They've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen Him speak to the wind and the waves and say, Be quiet! And the whole sea stops. So how do they get to this point where they're telling Him what to do? The answer is, they're a work in progress. They are learning to develop the eyes of faith, but they have not yet fully developed 
the eyes of faith. They have not yet fully learned to look at situations and people through the lens of, I'm working with Almighty God. All the resources of heaven are at my disposal. What is God doing? What is God desiring to do? The eyes of faith always look with more than what's merely observable by human eyes. And so actually, Jesus' disciples aren't making a wrong judgment. They're making a very right judgment. It's not a a bad or wrong one. It's just not complete. And so Jesus, rather than getting angry at them, he doesn't demonstrate frustration. He just graciously turns them around, leads them in the path of what God's doing by by, by telling them, you feed them. You feed them. What he's doing there is he's calling attention to the fact that in the kingdom of God, things work differently than in the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, we just take care of ourselves. I'm responsible for myself. I'll feed myself. Jesus, these people need to feed themselves. Send them away. But in the kingdom of God, God takes care of all who are his. And in the kingdom of God, where the Holy Spirit leads and guides, we pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so Jesus looks on a crowd of hungry people whom the Father, through the Spirit, is drawing to Him because I am the bread of life, knows Jesus. And He says to Himself, the Father's at work here. The Father's drawing all these people. What must the Father want to do? And so Jesus knows from His own conversation with the Father that the Father's at work and the Father wants to do something. And so He says, we're not sending these people away. You feed them. Remember that from last week? We feed them? We feed them? And the disciples respond by saying, "Um, Jesus... We've only got two fish and five loaves of bread. They kind of state the obvious. Unless, unless we go and buy food for them all. So they're still working with just the hard data possibilities, right? We've only got this, but we could do that. But there's a shift. I want you to notice there's a shift that's happened. They're aware that Jesus is up to something. And so, they haven't totally closed the door. They've actually kept it open. They've exerted enough faith to say to Jesus, Jesus, we've only got this unless... And then they just kind of state it, kind of like a question. They're they're shifting. Jesus, what would you like to do is inherent in that. And so, Jesus responds to them and to that open door of faith by saying, tell the people to sit down in groups of 50. Uh... Okay, we're going to seat 10,000 people in groups of 50. Luke says there's 5,000 men, so conservative estimate would be 10 with women and children on the top side, 20, 25. Let's just say 10,000. We're going to seat 10,000 people in groups of 50. We don't have any food present. Okay. 
And, and so then Luke just moves right on and says, and so Jesus' disciples have the people seated. But I want us to notice that it's not a tiny step of faith. It's actually quite a large step of faith that they obey Jesus' guidance and that they go out and they start saying, hey, um, could you organize yourselves into groups of about 50 and just have a seat on the grass? Why? Well, um, Jesus is going to feed us. With what? I don't really know. He's just said that we should sit down in groups of 50. And you've got to do this over and over, over and over. You've got to go to people and you've got to act on the guidance that Jesus has given. The guidance up to this point is not complete. It doesn't tell us everything he's going to do. It's just one step at a time. Have the people sit down. And so you're the one who has to act on that guidance. Would you please sit down in small groups? You know, the Lord works the same way with us. Oftentimes, when he's at work in our midst, he gives us one step of guidance and calls us to take, take that step in obedience. And to a lot of people looking on, that step looks irrational. It doesn't make sense. And, and so every time that we have a, a sense of guidance from the Lord, we're faced with this decision. Will I analyze it? Will I rationalize it? Will I let fear me up? Or, having tested or discerned that this is likely the Lord, will I step out in faith? Will I do it? Will I do it? All the time. All the time the Lord works this way. So what does that look like? What does that look like for us as a church? That's looked like maybe four or five years ago. The sense of guidance was renovate your whole basement to create a new larger food pantry and a coffee shop called Grace Space attached to it, even though you're not making your current budget. Or three years ago, create a new pastoral position and call Pastor Gina to fill it so that you can be more equipped to build up leaders, to equip others to do the work of ministry even though you don't have any money for it, you don't know where it's going to come from, you don't currently make your own budget self-sufficiently, take that step. Be willing to renovate your entire sanctuary, remove the pews, and make the space usable by campus ministry so they can have a ministry here, even though you have no idea where chairs or carpet are going to come from. See that pattern? Guidance without any knowledge of where the Lord's provisioner is going to come from. Another one might look like, well, another one is, pray that the Lord would give you Lexington School as a ministry training center and emergency housing. Ooh. Or smaller, smaller scale. Last week. This is, there, there are... People among you struggling with despair, some to the point of considering taking their lives. Here's the step of faith. Name it. And tell them that I want to bring hope. Name it. Guidance. Guidance when you can't see something that's rationally observable, but guidance when you've been praying, when you're working with the Lord, who constantly desires to minister, to bring life, hope, healing, Guidance. And we've got to take steps of faith. So the disciples take that step of faith. And that step on their part 
opens up the door for Jesus to continue to work. Now hear this. We believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, don't we? And yet, if it's not for our cooperation, if it weren't for the disciples' cooperation, the, the, the work of Jesus gets shut down in that moment. If they're not willing to work with Him, if they're not willing to act on His guidance, it doesn't go forward. There's a real human responsibility that God gives us as He works with and through us where He limits Himself in a certain way to our obedience, our faith. So the disciples take that step of faith and they move out and they seat everyone. And what that does is it paves the way then for Jesus to exert His own faith because Jesus Himself has received guidance from the Father. Remember, He says, I don't do anything except what I see my Father doing. His Father's guidance was, thank me for the bread and distribute it. The guidance wasn't Thank me for the bread and I will multiply it in front of your eyes and there will be a mountain of it that you can then hand out. The guidance was, I'm going to feed these people. Thank me for the bread and then just hand it off. Release it. Let go of control of it. Give it up. And so Jesus thanks the Father and then He has to... He's standing there looking over over 10,000 people. And he's got to put loaves and fishes in his disciples' hands. And he's got to trust that when they turn around and they hand them to that first group of 50 people, that that stuff's going to reach the back of that group and keep going. Jesus himself is our model for faith. Believing that when the Father's communicating that he wants to work miraculously, that he can cooperate and trust And so it's the same way with us that God will very often call us to place into His hands little things where we look at those little things and think, that's not enough. That's not near enough to meet the need. But God's saying, take that little thing, that time, that amount of money, that object, that place, that skill, that whatever it is, take that little thing and give it to me. Put it into my hands And watch what I will do for my glory to feed the multitudes, to bless, to heal. Take that little thing and release it to me and trust me to work. As Jesus takes these little fish and these five loaves and He releases them into the Father's care or work, God works so powerfully that what they have left over is more than what they began with. He literally sets a table, a feast, in the middle of a desert, in a wilderness. Friends, what Jesus does there is what Jesus wants to do in our lives and through our lives. Because the desert place in this text is a physical place, but it's also a spiritual place. It's symbolic of all of the deserts, the barren places that we find ourselves in need of sustenance, feeding, and of the desert or the barren places that others around us find themselves in needs of provision, of healing, of sustenance from the Lord. And the Lord says, as you pray... As you seek me, as you're willing to cooperate, to work with me, to make yourselves available to me, to follow my guidance, I will work through you 
to create feasts, to feed in barren places. All I ask is for your faith. All I ask is that you would approach me, not telling me what's possible, but asking me. That you would ask me and then you would listen for my guidance. That when I give guidance, you would believe that I am able to do what I say I'll do. That you would clothe that belief with concrete steps of obedience to my guidance. And that as you take those steps, you release, you trust and release into my control the things which I'm asking you to give and to do. And so, friends, I believe that the Lord wants to feed multitudes through this tiny little church. This little church that might be looked down on. This little church that God has been doing a mighty work in over the last few years to kindle faith and to kindle prayerfulness and to kindle expectation about what He wants to do not only in our lives, but through us. That He gave a living demonstration of last week in which we believe He's going to do a whole lot more of. And He asks us, are you willing to give me your faith and to take steps of faith as I work through you? Because I am the God who welcomes all who come to me with faith and expectancy and who is willing to heal all those who need healing and who come to me. And so Pastor Gina is going to lead us into communion now and invite us to come to the table and to approach the God who heals all who come to him. The Lord's been speaking to us. He's been encouraging us. He's been inviting us. He meets us in this meal, even as he met the disciples, as they gathered around and celebrated the Passover meal. He meets us in the bread. He meets us in the juice. He's been speaking to you, and some of you, he's stirring great faith that he wants to use me. He wants to use this little talent to feed the multitudes, to actually go out and be missionaries, to be pastors, to be church planters, to be Christian community developers, to be Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders and small group leaders. And you're saying, I'm going to come to this table and believe that Jesus is going to meet me here and he's going to further equip and strengthen me for his call. And some of you are saying, I believe that he might want to do that in me, but there's still this sin, there's still this thing, and I don't know that I can really be strong enough to overcome this hurdle. And I want to encourage you, as we've confessed our sins, he's forgiven us, and he meets us in this meal today, and he strengthens you. He may heal you today as you come. He may cut off chains as you come. And I want to read these words. A little on later in Luke, where he sat with the disciples around the table. 
And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for this meal. Thank you for these elements of bread and juice that you used to teach your disciples. Even as you used the bread to feed the multitude and showed your all-sufficiency and your almighty power, the kingdom of God at work among the people. Lord, I thank you that you set apart these elements to again meet us today with your power and your all-sufficiency. In Jesus' name, amen. And so he did. He gave thanks. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And this cup is my blood poured out for you. And in this meal, if you are a Christian, if you're a professing Christian, you may not be a member of this church, but if you're a member of the body of Jesus Christ, we invite you to come. And the way we partake of the meal, we recognize we've got a number of visitors here, but we um, do this together. We come forward. We get the elements here, take them back to our seats. We wait till we've all been served, and then we'll take it together. If you have children with you and they have not made profession of faith yet, um, we welcome you to have them walk up with you and explain the meal to them, but we ask that they would not take the meal until they've made profession of faith. And so I invite the board members now, if they would come with me and the worship team to come forward. And so specifically as you come today, I invite you to have in the forefront of your mind, if there's something that the Lord's put on your heart, I need healing. I need freedom. I'm bringing what I have and asking the Lord to bless my gifts. Whatever those things are, I invite you to very personally speak to the Lord about those things even as you come forward to receive the elements. And so the table is open, and I invite you. We'll just come from the front and circle around. The table's ready. Come. Together, we take the bread and we remember the body of Christ broken for us and the all sufficient one and the almighty one he poured out his blood for us and so let's drink together remembering and believing family I invite you to stand to receive God's blessing before we sing our closing song. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
I want to welcome everyone to stay for potluck after the worship service. If you haven't brought anything, no problem. Um, usually we have plenty to pass. So that's downstairs, uh, down these stairs or the other side. I want to call your attention really briefly to the um, note insert in the worship folder. We just sang praise God from whom all blessings flow. And one of the blessings that we're celebrating is growing up as a church. So God's growing us in numbers, bringing new people to Christ, but he's also growing us to maturity. And so we're uh, transitioning from being an 80-something-year-old church plant who's been parented by West End Christian Reformed Church for many years to a church that's going to establish and uh, parent herself. And a part of that process, as the West End Council is leading us, is to establish uh, a new leadership structure in which we prepare elders and deacons for their work. And so we're beginning one stage at a time with the deacons. And uh, you'll read on the back of this uh, the, the names that are being presented to serve as deacons are Kate Donald, Dane Dick, and Jan Glass, and that the Lord willing will install them as acting deacons September 20th, so two weeks from today in a worship service. Yeah, praise the Lord.